It's time to get in the zone. The Fantasy Football Zone. Hey guys, where else would you rather be? Get involved with the show by following us on Twitter at DraftThatGuy. Want a piece of that championship? Put it in here. This is the Fantasy Football Zone. And welcome back into the Fantasy Football Zone. What I hear it's going to be, and I am glad I'm joined by Corey Smith, NFL writer at Rotowire, because we're going to need your help more than ever this year. I, I just got to say that on the onset, Corey. Welcome into the Fantasy Football Zone. Grateful to be here, man, and uh, I am excited to talk some ball today with you and all season long, so let's get this going, baby. This is going to be like a season we've never had before, and I th- and we're coming off a weird year where we had Andrew Luck retire during fantasy drafts. We had Elvin Kamar and Saquon Barkley not have good years when we thought they were going to just blow the joint up, and now we're coming into 2020, and in some weeks we don't know if our top star is going to play or not with everything that's going on in the world right now, so <laughs> this is going to be a weird year. Unquestionably. I cannot remember any time like this where we're, we're coming into a season and we just don't know what to expect from it and you know just kick it all off we had all the opt-outs going on now some of those I think that happened did affect some of these teams plans now not a whole lot of major names that got knocked out like your top 10 picks or whatever but there's some key guys down on the list that maybe affect things especially if you're going to put them on your bench and maybe they'd uh, make a scene down the season here Absolutely. I mean, Marquise Goodwin, one guy who kind of falls into that category. In fantasy, he's been kind of a hot August, you know, guy that people have been discussing going into seasons. Just his literally Olympic speed and ability to be a burner. He's out this season for the Eagles, a recent acquisition for them. So, I mean, in terms of fantasy, right off the bat, he's kind of that, uh, you know, fourth receiver on a team with upside who's opting out and couple other guys. Your Packers, we got Devin Punch opting out, which may be offensively one of the biggest opt-outs we've seen. And I think that did affect some of their plans, especially heading into the draft, because people were wondering, why didn't they pick a wide receiver in the draft? And uh, I think maybe because they had Funches on the other side with Adams, but uh, obviously that might not, uh, it might backfire on them, maybe. It may. Now, I think it's, you may know better than me being in the area, but late in the season last year, it was all Lazard. I mean, we were here a lot about uh, MBS, Valdez uh, mm-hmm. Scantling being that second guy uh, for Rodgers. But really, over the latter half of the season, it was it was all Lazard, essentially. I mean, from week nine on in PPR scoring, he outscored MBS every single week. Yes. Uh, so, I don't know. To me, Lazard, if we're going with the second package receiver, off uh, pivoting off the Funchess move, mm-hmm. Lazard is the guy. I mean, he outscored MBS in PPR 79 points to 8.6 points, weeks 8 to 17. Where do you land on that? Do you think Lazard is the second guy, and do you feel comfortable kind of relying on him this year for significant snaps on your fantasy team? I think he has to be your second guy. Another name I'm going to throw out there because he was out all last season, they were pretty high on him, was Ekmanius St. Brown. Now, he missed a lot of... He missed a lot of the season. They were pretty high on him, and I think that's why they weren't as active two years ago picking up a wide receiver because they had MVS and St. Brown coming off pretty decent rookie years. So with the St. Brown, it sounds like everything is good with him right now in camp and, and healthy. But, yeah, it's going to be Lazard as uh, the number two. And for me, I'm not 100% sold on uh, having him on my roster. I, 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 I don't know. He, he did put up some good numbers in the second half of the season. Don't get me wrong. I think he had a couple of hundred yard performances and it seems like the connection with Rodgers is getting better, but 
in this offense right now, there's a lot of guys that are going to get touches, especially coming out of that backfield now, it sounds like. A more Aaron Jones might get involved this year. So I don't know if I am uh, that high on Lazar coming in here. Definitely. And, I mean, taking A.J. Dillon kind of shows you the direction the team may be headed in, uh, kind of taking a power back. I mean, I know he's a, he can be a big play guy, but Aaron Jones, just a ridiculously efficient yards per carry average. They've got Jamal Williams, who's a nice secondary back. Uh, certainly not as explosive as Jones, but if that tells you anything about the direction of the offense, and they've they've got a young tight end, uh, Sternberger out of A and M, yep, who maybe you know maybe an interesting guy this year with Jimmy Graham moving on, maybe a deep league flyer though for him. So other opt outs that we were looking at too around the league, uh, there were some interesting things. Now a huge name on the defensive side, he decided he's coming back for the Buffalo Bills, and that might be helping you out if you're looking at them on uh, the defensive <laughs> side of things. No question. I think that's the defense. Going into last year, a lot of people had as a top five unit, and uh, understandably so. I mean, they were one of the best pass defenses each of the last two years, and Tredavious White's been a huge part of that. Uh, he's only missed one regular season game since being a first-round pick in 2017, 27th overall, which actually turns out to be a great steal for the Bills. Given that, he had 18, I believe it was 18 pass deflections as a rookie, 17 last year as he earned his first All-Pro nod. He was the guy, if there's somebody that seemed close to opting out, uh, definitely would have been the biggest name guy. Yes. Uh, and especially, I mean, this is the turning of the guard in the AFC East. Obviously, Brady going down to Tampa Bay. <laughs> you had to I mean, sneak that in. <laughs> I had to do it. I had to, get the, I had to get it in. But this is the year, I mean... It's been, uh, they had a 17-year playoff drought, of course. The Bills have made the playoffs two of the last three years. Quick, as, quick exits each time. Last year, Deshaun Watson, obviously, heroic effort in the fourth quarter. Um, but if this is going to be, if there's going to be a turning of the guard, this is the year. Obviously, very weird offseason with COVID. If there's going to be a coach who's going to handle it, mm-hmm. uh, it's going to be Bill Belichick. And you think, even with all the guys who have opted out defensively for them, namely Donta Hightower and uh, Patrick Chung opting out for the Patriots, I still feel like with Cam Newton they're going to be in the mix. But obviously, Tredavious White opting in for the Bills is huge for really everybody up in Orchard Park and the Bills, the Bills faithful, the Bills mafia. Yep. That was a huge move. They went through tables when they decided to come back. I mean, they were just doing it in the they parking did. lot for fun. <laughs> Those... They were throwing guys. They were trying to keep the distance. Yeah. Possibly, but they were doing it. <laughs> they were throwing guys off ladders. Six-foot table drops, yes. <laughs> Absolutely. All right, well, we'll keep it on the defensive end of side of things. You know, the Vikings, one of the top defenses, but they, they're they coming into the season. A lot of pieces were missing. Mike Zimmer is going to have to do a heck of a job this year because uh, their defensive backfield's kind of, well, guys gone and up front on the defensive line, too. They're missing guys, and they had one guy opt out that uh, could have been a big piece for them this year. Definitely. I mean, Michael Pierce coming over from Baltimore, he's a guy who's never earned a Pro Bowl nod. He's never really been talked about in, I think, you know, mainstream uh, NFL podcasts as an elite player, but he's a guy that advanced metrics people love. I mean, his first three seasons with the Ravens, he led the team in run-stop percentage each year. I mean, not necessarily that he wasn't every down, down-in, down-out kind of defensive player, Michael Pierce for the Ravens, but he's a guy who was, when he was on the field, stuffed a lot of ball carriers at or behind the line of scrimmage. Vikings get him really low-key. I mean, not a low-key move. A lot of people know Michael Pierce, very good player, but certainly underrated. And with him opting out, 
mean, that does not help the Vikings up front. They have some less-known names than we're used to on that Vikings defensive line going into this year. Back on the offensive side of things, uh, t- a couple guys that opted out uh, on Miami and with the Dolphins. We thought they were going to be the worst team in the world last year, but they, they improved down the stretch. They got Fitzmagic. They got Tua now in there. And they're going to miss a couple wide receivers now. Again, not big fantasy names, but these guys here and there, they put up some pretty decent games in Allen Hearns and Albert Wilson, and uh, they're going to be missing off that Miami wide receiving core now. They're going to be out this year, but, I mean, that could only benefit last year's breakout star, Devontae Parker, who's somebody for probably three or four <laughs> years, the joke was, all right, yes, this is the year. Yeah. Finally, last year, Pops finishes as a top 12 PPR receiver. Uh, he's clearly the number one guy, or seems to be, uh, Preston Williams, preseason star last year, was banged up part of the year, but an explosive player in his own right. One other guy who may benefit from the two receivers opting out in terms of getting a higher workload will be the tight end, Mike Gusecki, uh, high-round draft pick out of Penn State a couple of years back. A lot of people talk about the strategy. If you don't get an elite tight end, be the last person in your league to take a tight end and yeah. take a flyer on a guy like Mike Gasicki. If that's your strategy to wait and wait, he may be a guy this year who's kind of a sneaky value in deeper leagues. Mike Gasicki for the Dolphins. And once again, we're joined by Corey Smith, the NFL writer for Rotowire, joining us. And uh, we've got one big other name uh, from the Chiefs' backfield that opted out. We're going to get to that, though, down because that's going to kind of transition us into draft and stash strategy for this year. And, Corey, I fell off the handcuff strategy a couple years ago. I was big into it for a couple years, but then I'm like, God, there's just too many backs out there now to take up my roster just to have one backfield. But with all the uncertainty going on this year, I think it's a key thing in strategy to have when you're going in the draft that you might want to handcuff that backfield this year. Definitely, especially if you have a late scratch Friday or Saturday, starting running back test positive for COVID. Now, I guess your strategy could go separate ways. I'm, you can think, I'm worried about if my starting running back for whatever team, the Vikings, let's say, uh-huh. Uh, comes down with COVID, am I going to, is the running back who's the backup for him also going to be testing positive? Uh, <laughs> yeah. For me, I'm probably, I'm probably going to say, I'm going to go for it. I'm going to take that secondary back because just that return, if you invest in the backfield like the Cowboys or the Vikings, for example, I just think it's worth taking that second back, especially where you're going to see ADPs for guys like Alexander Madison and Pollard for the Cowboys. Exactly. And we'll start with that Minnesota backfield while we bring it up. Dalvin Cook, Alexander Madison. I guess you could even throw Mike Boone in there because he had a pretty big game at the end of the season, and uh, it seems like they like him a little bit in that. So, I mean, if there was a domino effect in that backfield, it seems like that'd be one you might want to you know, stash on your roster this year. Definitely for a deeper league, Mike Boone is a guy to look into, absolutely. Uh, I mean, Dalvin Cook at the top of the draft, a guy who's definitely – top three or four back fantasy-wise, maybe pure talent-wise in the NFL. Um, They've got Gary Kubiak, who's going to be serving as the offensive coordinator this year. Obviously the mastermind of a lot of effective fantasy backs over the years, i.e. Arian Foster in Houston, Mm -hmm. uh, C.J. Anderson and Ronnie Hillman combined for a huge uh, almost 2,000 scrimmage yards combined, just under 1,900 in 2015 for the Broncos. So you like that Kubiak coming in. This is a team that is a really run-heavy offense. Vikings were fourth in rush rate last season, and though red zone efficiency can be a little bit 
unpredictable year to year. This is the team that was very efficient in the red zone last year, uh, 10th place finish by scoring a touchdown on 60% of their drives. Really, if you're going to invest in the backfield, this is one that I really like going after Alexander Madison and perhaps Boone in the deeper league just because of the sheer volume of work they're going to get out of this backfield. Dalvin Cook did report for camp with his veteran teammates, but he and his representation have been pretty firm. They really want an increase on his salary, and we'll see how that works out moving forward here. Well, don't we all want an increase in salary? I mean... Amen. And that's the other thing, though, with Cook. I am a believer in guys that have kind of injury years and whatnot. And I know last year he was healthy for the most part, but the year before was one of those he got injured. Coming out of college, it's why he went in the second round. I don't know if this is one of those years where all of a sudden, well, he's going to deal with injuries again. So that's my – and I totally believe he is one of the top backs when healthy. But – that still, it still scares me a little bit with him in the top five because it's proven he can't get through a 16-game season. Absolutely. And they say you cannot win your fantasy draft in the first two rounds, but you can lose your fantasy yeah. draft and lose your fantasy season in the first two rounds. Yes. And Dalvin Cook, if he's slipping and I'm, I'm picking in the six, seven, eight slot, mm-hmm. I'm probably going to go for it. But if I'm picking third and I see you know Zeke on the board after Barkley yeah. goes second and McCaffrey goes, I mean, I'm probably leaning Zeke just for the stability, uh, both injury-wise and contract situation-wise. I mean, I've been spurned by Bell before. I'm a Le'Veon Bell 2018 GM. Yep. (laughs) I know know the feeling. I don't think that's going to happen here, but to take – Cook top three for me is is definitely risky. All right, we're going to move now to Denver, where they had one of the weirdest signings. Uh, we were tr- we're trying to wrap our head what John Elway's doing here because he went out and he spent some money in the backfield. We thought that was a pretty good, solid position for him with Philip Lindsay still coming back in back to back thousand yard years. But they signed Melvin Gordon to that backfield, and what do we do now as fantasy owners? To me. Where these guys are going, and obviously it's going to vary site to site, but Gordon's going as a borderline top 20 guy, and we're talking about Philip Lindsay coming off back-to-back 1,000-yard seasons to kick off his career. This is a guy who wasn't even drafted coming out of Colorado. 5.9 yard per carry average on 416 attempts. That's just absurd. My concern, are these two going to cancel each other out? If I'm taking a late flyer, mid-round flyer, excuse me, wouldn't be late certainly, but I love Philip Lindsay. Coming in the middle rounds is a guy, even without a ton of pass-catching upside, he's a guy I like, even in PPR, but in standard, I love Philip Lindsay as a guy where he's going at his current ADP. Gordon, of course, gives the Broncos another dimension, a little bit better pass-catcher than Lindsay is, but certainly he's had some injuries over his career. A guy who scores a ton of touchdowns but isn't necessarily efficient. For me, all in all, I like Lindsay better at his ADP than I do Gordon, but mm-hmm. I think both will be solid. But give me Lindsay by a hair at their ADP. Now, I got to laugh because that situation's going on this year. Like, basically, the exact same time last year, the Browns made a move to their backfield when it looked like, yeah, Nick Chubb, pretty good rookie year he came off of, looking for good things. And all of a sudden, they signed Kareem Hunt in the offseason. And we're like, now we knew last year he had the suspension. So we knew for the first nine weeks there wasn't going to be any issues. But then the thing was, well, what's going to happen with this? Is it going to turn into a timeshare? Not a whole lot. But now we're coming into a fresh new season like this. I got to think Chubb's time it might get cut into a little bit more this year. And there's no question. That's what we saw at the latter half of last season after Kareem Hump came back from the suspension. Chubb was a beast over the first half of the season. Yeah. 
19.9, nearly 19 points per game in PPR scoring weeks one through nine. After we saw Hunt come back into the lineup, Chubb went down from nearly 19 points per game in PPR to just 13. Certainly respectable. If you're plugging him in as your second back, 12-14 team league, you can live with 13 points per game, unquestionably in PPR. But the question is, you know, is he going to be worth a first-round pick, Chubb? The receiving upside certainly isn't, you know, Hunt is the guy in that regard. He's one of the best receiving backs in the NFL. But Chubb is simply maybe the best pure rusher in the NFL. I mean, he finished right behind Derrick Henry for the NFL's uh, rushing crown last season. He's a guy you're probably going to be able to get at the back end of your drafts this year, Chubb, if, if you're willing to, you know, make that investment. Look, he's a guy who runs through people. Second in yards after contact last year. Browns have made some additions to that line. Overall, you figure Baker's going to be better this year. The fancy's coming in. It just feels a little bit more like a firm situation than with Kitchens. I mean, it's a new coach with a short offseason, but I, I do have more faith in Stefanski coming in this year. And I think that Chubb at the back end of the first round, it's a tough call. I mean, I, mm-hmm. I do think Hunt's going to cut into that share. I think that Chubb is an elite second RB and uh, certainly a back-end RB1 in, in PPR at this stage. Now, I do like this handcuff position. I like this a little bit more than the Broncos one because uh, some of the facts you just said, you know, Chubb, the numbers, he is a beast. He's proven that. And with Hunt's PPR numbers, if you're going to handcuff a backfield, I really like this one right here. I do, too. There's no better second-string running back, arguably, than Kareem Hunt. This is a guy who tied Eric Dickerson for the fewest games to 1,000 scrimmage yards as a rookie. I mean, that is elite, (laughs) elite company. Yeah, You saw it the first game he ever played against the Patriots. Fumble on his first carry and then just went off from that point the rest of his rookie season. He has all the talent in the world. Certainly a guy who has a ton of upside as an RB, as the second RB on his team. That's Kareem Hunt. Now we're going to go to Baltimore. They broke all kinds of rushing records last year with Lamar Jackson and Mark Ingram, but uh, they added a new weapon in the backfield, and I actually like the new weapon more than the incumbent starter. And J.K. Dobbins coming out of Ohio State, now joining this Ravens team. Now obviously Ingram is still going to get those touches, but I'm intrigued with Dobbins back there, especially with Lamar Jackson's ability and everything. I I, I don't know how long Mark Ingram will hold on to that spot, but uh, I think Dobbins Dobbins, maybe by the end of the year, might uh, have control of that backfield. That's just me. Maybe I'm going on a limb here, but I really like the uh, rookie out of Ohio State. I love Dobbins, and I think he is one of the steals of this year's draft. He's going as a running back, late 30s among running backs, Dobbins, depending where you're drafting. This is a guy who's coming off a 2,000-yard, 21-touchdown rushing season last year for the Buckeyes. 1,000 rushing yards each of his last three collegiate seasons. Amazingly, these two backs are going behind the Broncos two backs in a lot of oh. on a lot of sites. You're going to see Gordon going in front of Ingram. You're going to see Lindsey going in front of Dobbins. I think I'd switch both of these. Obviously, we have an offense led by the reigning MVP in Jackson. And secondly, we think about the Broncos situation. This is an offensive line at full strength. Pro Football Focus rated as the 14th line going into 2020. That was before Juwan James, their starting right tackle, opted out. Yep. Meanwhile, we got, the, we got the Ravens there, a top-five offense, according to the analytics guys. And I just think for their ADP, I, I still like Ingram where he's going, but Dobbins is an absolute steal going where he's going. And, man, I, I think he has about as much upside as any backup running back in the NFL. 
not named Hunt. Well, we'll get to the Jets situation here because what a year it was for Le'Veon Bell. He had his coach, Adam Gase, basically come out in the middle of the season and say, well, I didn't really want to sign the guy. <laughs> then, you know, Le'Veon's trying to put up production. It was just, I don't know, a weird situation. And here we are. They kept Le'Veon in the offseason. What do we do with this situation? This may very well be his last year with the gangrene. We will see. Obviously, they had some turnover at GM going to Joe Douglas. That was prior to Bell's arrival that Douglas arrived. But if we're talking strictly fantasy, this is a guy, Le'Veon Bell, who has as much upside as practically anyone when he's at full steam. I mean, obviously, you don't see him in the ilk of McCaffrey and Saquon Barkley at this stage. But he's only a couple years removed from being a year-after-year top three PPR back. 2014, granted, that was a long time ago, but 2014, 2016, 2017, Three last seasons, he played at least 12 games prior to last season. He was a top three PPR back each of those seasons. I mean, we, we know what Le'Veon Bell can do. And the other thing is, who else are the Jets going to throw the ball to? Yeah. We like, Mim, we like Mims coming out of Baylor, but, man, they, they do not have a ton of targets. Uh, Herndon dealt with some off-the-field issues, injuries last year. I don't know, the tight end position, if they have any huge presence. Uh, Robbie Anderson, obviously, going to Carolina. But the main thing I want to point out about Bell is just the huge touchdown regression that we can expect in a positive way this year. He had just four touchdowns last year on 311 offensive touches, okay? He's one of nine backs who had at least 300 touches last year. The other eight running backs with 300 touches averaged 11 and a half touchdowns instead of Bell's four. I mean, sure. Is there something to that? The Jets can't punch it in. Of course, there could be something to that, and he won't regress to 11 touchdowns necessarily. But I think he's going to score more than four. And I just think the workload is going to be massive for Bell this year. Guy who was eighth in touches per game among running backs last year. And he's going around RB18, which for me is just way too late. Another backfield tandem to talk about in maybe the most controversial trade of the offseason where uh, David Johnson comes over from Arizona to the Houston Texans. DeAndre Hopkins is out of here. And uh, now he pairs with Duke Johnson in that backfield. I know I've been a Duke Johnson advocate because ever since his days of the Browns, he seems to always be a PPR superstar when he gets a chance to catch 14 balls and have 50 yards rushing. So I, I like him on that factor, but it seemed like they, you know, Bill O'Brien didn't want to really do much with him last year when they, uh, when they signed him. What do we think of David Johnson? Obviously the injury issues. And again, this, there were some that argued that Johnson should have been maybe one of the top three backs off the board going into last season with everything that was going on in Arizona. How do we look at him now this year? How comfortable are you drafting him and what position you drafted him? I mean, there's certainly the inherent injury risk with David Johnson, but if we look at his final stat line from last year and where he finished among fantasy backs, it's certainly skewed by the fact that he just completely fell out of favor once Kenyon Drake came to town. Yeah. Once Kenyon Drake arrived in Arizona, he was almost just completely relegated out of the game plan, getting like five, six, seven touches per game for David Johnson. He averaged 17.7 touches per game weeks one through six before his injury. He was a top two NFL back in terms of receiving yards per game during that span. If we're talking about PPR, David Johnson, this is a guy who is upside as a pass catching back is huge. If we're talking standard, his value is certainly going to be downgraded a bit. We know Duke Johnson's there, who's a guy who's really never gotten his fair share. Uh, the all-time leading rusher in Miami Hurricanes history, I believe, Duke Johnson. Yes. Amazingly, with all the backs that have come out of there. But a guy who's really never, it doesn't feel like he's really ever been handed the keys. 
you expect him to get some work too. Johnson's going as a late RB2, a back-end RB2 in 10-team leagues. I think that is worth an investment, but you've got to back him up with some more uh, stability behind him. If you're going Johnson as your second back, I'm definitely looking to – I don't think – I mean, Kenyon Drake is going before Johnson, obviously, yes. in most drafts. But you're going to want to definitely get some more depth of that position in later rounds if you're going as Johnson with your second pick uh, as a running back. I definitely would not feel good with him as my first running back, as we may have last year. But if he's your number two in a 10-12 team league, a guy with a lot of upside, certainly RB1 potential, but you're going to need depth behind him just because of the injury concerns, which repeatedly come up. Want to touch on the uh, Miami Dolphins backfield. I mean, again, I don't know how much volume they're going to get or what they're going to produce, but they have some decent guys back there in Jordan Howard, uh, Matt Breida, Kalen Balage. This is like a toss-up when you're in the uh, 10th, 11th rounds. They're up there on the board. Which one do you feel comfortable to taking with? I'd probably stick with Howard. Over the first 10 weeks of last season before Sanders came on to the Eagles, uh, he was the 20th best RB in PPR scoring the first 10 weeks of last season, that being Jordan Howard. Towards the goal line, you see Howard getting a ton of work. And I I mean, Brita is a guy who's had injury concerns himself. Yes. Certainly an explosive back for Shanahan and company out west uh, in the Bay. I'm thinking with the abbreviated offseason, I'm, I mean, they're both new backs. They're both coming into the system. So I have, actually have to dispel that point. But I think that Jordan Howard, for me, just the goal line presence, I would lean him over Breida this oh. year. All right. And then in Kansas City, uh, our final kind of opt-out rolls into this question here. You had Damian Williams opt-out, so the running back is no longer there, and he was thought of uh, maybe being a high-production uh, guy last year, and that didn't really come out. But they hit him, Clyde Edwards Heller from uh, LSU. He is now the uh, rookie in the backfield for Kansas City. It looks like he's got it, but will Darwin Thompson cut into his production? And is uh, Edwards Hilaire the guy, the must-own rookie this year? I think he is. He's definitely the top rookie back for me just because of the backfield that he went to going to Andy Reid and the Chiefs, of course. There's going to be a ton of scoring opportunities. If we're taking a rookie back as a top 10 pick, obviously some risk involved in that. Yeah. But we see running back as a position that typically adapts quicker to the NFL game than do, you know, other positions. I mean, on offense, it can be different. Certainly quarterback takes longer to adapt. I think that going into the season with what we have going on with COVID and everything, you're going to see them lean more on Daryl Williams and the like and the veteran backs early. Mm-hmm. But do I think Clyde Edwards-Hilaire is worth a top 10 overall pick? I don't think there's any question about it. This is a guy who also has receiving upside, 55 catches last year for, for uh, LSU, 1,400 rushing yards, 16 touchdowns, a guy you trust to punch the ball in near the goal line, and pretty decent receiving upside. Certainly some risk there, but worth a top 10 pick, definitely. No question about it. Clyde Edwards-Hilaire, top 10 pick for me this year. And that's going to do it for this edition of the Fantasy Football Zone. Hopefully some of those situations will help you out in the draft. I do think this year it's going to be very important to handcuff those running backs just because of the depth and who knows what we're facing in this 2020 fantasy football season. Thanks to Corey Smith of Rotowire. Again, check out all his great stuff. He gets you ready for the draft. All the great stuff from Rotowire too. They definitely can help you out get prepared for your draft. Coming up in our next edition, we are going to be looking at 
got new faces, new places, and also Corey's got some great information on quarterback strategy. How early or late should you take your quarterback? That's all coming up next edition. Fantasy Football Zone, this is PJ. Thanks for checking us out. Subscribe to the Fantasy Football Zone and give us a five-star rating while you're at it. Follow us on Twitter at DraftThatGuy. Thanks for listening to the Fantasy Football Zone podcast.